0: Amen. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray together as we dig into God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you that your love is so overwhelming, is so incredible, is so powerful, that it breaks through even my own sin and selfishness. That your love is able to reach even me as far as I have fall every day. you are so patient and gracious that you continue to come after us even as we turn away again and again. We thank you for your sacrifice, for your willingness to send your son. And that he is enough. And God, as we seek to understand that and try to live in that truth and that reality, God, we pray that you would give us understanding your spirit would speak to our hearts that we can live in the abundant life that you desire for us. That we can share that abundant life with others. And so this morning, God, as we dig into your word, we just pray that you would speak. That you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you that we would be challenged anew. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 39, and we don't have it on the screen this morning. This morning, you're welcome to turn, if you'd like, in your Bibles, but I'd invite you as well, perhaps, just to close your eyes. And the interesting thing is, uh, Bryce read a very small part of this passage this morning, a, lot, the, for a couple of verses at the end, verses 38 and 39, And I didn't tell him that we were preaching on this this morning. Uh, It's just interesting sometimes how the Spirit of God lines things up. And uh, maybe he's trying to tell us something this morning. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes perhaps. If you want to read along, you're welcome to. But we don't have it on the screen this morning. And I would invite you to close your eyes and really listen to the things that Paul is saying in this passage. That God is saying to our hearts in the words here. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 18 and we're going to read to the end of the chapter here. In order that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Right up to this present time. Not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way. who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Do you believe it? Do you trust that you are held that tightly? Do you believe that you are saved and protected? Held fast and loved no matter what? Are you saved forever? This morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the promises of God as we come to the end of our season Looking at our mission statement, trying to understand what it truly means to walk intimately with God. Individually and together. What does it mean for us to follow him, to live with him, to trust him, to be a part of his mission? And as we come to the end of this season, we're asking the bigger question of why. Why can we trust him in this journey? Our world, our lives are are filled with so much uncertainty and, and danger, pressure and hardship, chaos and struggle and pain. I mean, there's all kinds of joy and excitement and celebration and all kinds of amazing things. But so easily we default to worry and fear. Particularly in a time like we've had over this last year. So, why? God calls us to trust Him. Why should I do that? Rather than try to hold things together myself. God's great, I'm sure. But I think I'd probably do a really good job of managing my own life, right? Why should I let go? It's not easy. I mean, even as we sit here and I say these things and we're here together, we think it's even maybe silly how silly it would be not to trust him. God is God. Of course I trust him. But we don't. Over and over and over again, we default to relying on ourselves instead of him making our own plans. Our own goals are working for our own good, thinking we know best or at least better than him. Because we struggle sometimes to see how he is in control. How he is working. How what is happening in our lives and all around us makes sense. We say we trust him, that we want to walk with him, but it's hard. And it's just so tempting to try to take that control back, so why? And the amazing thing is, none of this is a surprise to God. He created us, he knows us, he walked with us on this earth. He's present here right now. He knows our fear, our weakness. and So he gives us his promises. Promises he has backed up over and over and over again in the pages of Scripture and all through the life of his people and the church and in our own lives today. God has promised and he has fulfilled those promises and we've seen it happen. We've lived it. So we can trust him. God's given us incredible promises and we have to know them. We have to understand them. We have to burn them into our hearts and our minds because it's way too easy for me to forget them. And to dive right back into taking all that control back for myself. And so we've looked at just some of these incredible promises that God has made that he is in control. That we are a new creation. Last week, Pastor Scott led us through the truth that you are his workmanship. And that he has created you with life and purpose and good works for you to do. There's a reason you're here. And now, this morning, we come to another one of these most critical promises, something that we have to understand and cling to with everything we've got. That God has promised that nothing can separate you from Him. Nothing can separate you from Him. This is a huge promise an important promise, a foundational promises. And one of the things that I've seen people struggle with more than almost any other in their walk with God that I've struggled with in my own life. What if I lose my salvation? Why would God keep bothering with me? Sometimes I don't feel like he loves me and I'm certainly not worth his time. How can I know that he still cares? It's a massive struggle for a lot of people. Feeling like they're falling in and out of the kingdom. That we have an amazing experience on, I don't know, a retreat or an event or an missions trip. Or an amazing moment maybe in the middle of the night when we cry out to God And make all kinds of promises and ultimatums. Just do this for me and I'll never do that again. And for a couple of days. Or more accurately probably a couple of minutes. We've given back our life to God anew. With all the passion and vigor that we can muster. And then. That few minutes later, we've fallen back into all the same habits and behaviors. Sins and fears and selfishness, and we feel unworthy and that God couldn't love me and I couldn't be saved. It's a constant, crazy roller coaster. Falling away and coming back and falling away and coming back and feeling saved and feeling lost and feeling loved and accepted and feeling so unworthy and unlovable. It's not great. And I don't think that's probably what God wants us to experience in relationship with him. I'd, I'd struggle to find that in here. That that's what this new life is supposed to be. That we're constantly questioning and feeling scared. And wondering if we're in or out saved or not. But when I was younger this was something that I really struggled with. I remember vividly the fear that I had that I would somehow Lose my salvation, the questioning, whether I was really saved, and I remember going to summer camp and youth events and conferences, and I had amazing counselors and leaders, and they did an amazing job. But I remember going, and I would rededicate my life over and over and over again, feeling like the last time didn 't take somehow or wasn 't good enough, or that i hadn 't meant it enough and i 'd pray again with my counselor, or leader, whoever. God had there with me for God to save me all over again, worrying if it was enough and feeling good for a little while, but then the next time would come around again and I'd wonder all over again. And I'd read a passage like Matthew 7 where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out many demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That was so terrifying to me. Because I thought I was trying to follow Jesus, but I thought I was trying to do the right things. But what if I was rejected like this? What was I supposed to do with this? And over the years. I've listened to many different. Preachers and teachers. Lots of them with huge followings. Who take passages like this. And just abuse people. Pretending to be preaching the gospel. But just. Browbeating beating people and filling them with fear and doubt, hammering them with their own sin and brokenness, calling out all kinds of unfaithfulness and unworthiness in their life, piling on guilt and fear and shame. And I've talked with people who come back from conferences like this or maybe they were listening to a sermon online that somebody passed on to them and they're just broken, filled with fear. And it just breaks my heart because all of this comes from a picture of God that is just terrifying. Of this God who certainly doesn't exist in Scripture, but that we've cobbled together from pop culture and individual passages taken out of context and our own imagination and idea that we are so unworthy of a God who just hates us. This angry being in the sky who is just waiting for any chance to punish us. To reject us. To cast us out. It's awful. It's so unhealthy. So dangerous. So wrong. John 3.16 For God the Father. The Old Testament God. The one who has always been. Will always be. Does not change. God. For He so loved the world, He sent His only Son, that anyone who believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Temporary eternal life? Partial eternal life? No such thing will have eternal, abundant life forever. For God, the one who made everything, made us in his image, is love, is truth, is life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Amen. He didn't come to judge, he came to save. He didn't come to hate. He came because he is love. And he doesn't want to punish. He wants to set us free. Sin is real. And the consequences of rejecting God are real. And in the end of things, God will bring real judgment for rejecting him. But none of that happens by accident. God is not trying to trick people out of relationship with him. You cannot be tricked out of heaven. And for a long time in my life, I lived in real fear that I could. And I would rededicate my life at camp. Live in fear that I would do something that would make God reject me. That my life wasn't good enough. And at the end he would turn me away. But Matthew 7 isn't talking about me. It could if I choose the wrong path, but it wasn't talking about me where I was in that time, earnestly and honestly desiring to follow Jesus and sinning and falling apart because of course I was. But I was trying, I wanted to follow Jesus. It's talking about abusers in the church. The televangelists, the faith healers, the health and wealth teachers selling their prayer cloths and holy water, guilting people into giving them money, using the name of Jesus to build their own empire and wealth and power. Unless they repent, God will say, I never knew you. But that wasn't me. And I feel sad for the younger me who was so filled with fear and uncertainty because that's not remotely what God wanted for me. What he wants for you. Of course, we're not good enough, of course, we're not worthy. Of course I can never earn it. Isaiah 64, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even the good things we want to do are tainted with our selfishness. But it's not about what I can do. Never has been. It's about what God has done. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works. That no one can boast. Except in Jesus. God has promised that he is with us. And that nothing can separate you from him. All the way back in the Psalms, David expressed this. Even before Jesus came, God was right there. Always, Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. God is with us. And his forgiveness is more real and powerful than we can imagine. The life he's inviting you into in Jesus is not a life where we're meant to be constantly wondering if we're okay. It's not an abusive relationship. Filled with guilt and questioning and shame. We're not meant to live in fear. We're meant to live in freedom. Because the blood of Jesus makes us free. You are saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Permanently, forever. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can make you lose it. You are His forever and ever. Because you will still sin, you will still fail, you will still fall. Paul says it right before this passage in Romans 8 that we started with today. Romans chapter 7. For I do not do the good I want to do. And the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me. Paul failed. I fail. You will fail. We all still fall into sin. But thanks be to God. He has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will still sin. But if there's an amount of sin that can cause me to lose my salvation. If there's an amount of sin that can remove me from God's love. If there's an amount of sin that can take me out of his hand. Then I am lost Every day. All over again. But God has promised me that he has removed my sin from me. That he no longer sees my fallenness. My brokenness. My unfaithfulness. He sees Jesus. It's not my goodness that can make me good enough. It's Jesus. When you confess your sin to your Father and ask Him to forgive you, He no longer sees your failure. He sees Jesus. And Jesus is enough. All those times rededicating my life was just fine, ultimately. We're called to daily take up our cross, to renew our submission every day, to desire to go deeper with our Father, for Him to continue to shape and mold us more and more each day. That's good. To desire that, to pursue that, to be disciplined towards that, but to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power and love and a sound mind. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you confess, you are saved. And nothing can change that. Because God has promised you that in Jesus, nothing can separate you from him. This morning we're going to take communion together. And again, you can come up as an individual or send someone from your family. And Pastor Scott will hand out the elements to you. But the blood of Jesus makes us clean. His sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection is enough. There's nothing we can ever, ever do to earn it. There's nothing we can ever, ever do to be good enough. But Jesus is enough. As we take these elements together this morning, it's my prayer that you will be drawn deeper into an understanding of that, into a confidence and a boldness in your life in Jesus. Not arrogance but in pure humility, trusting him to be enough and that he is holding on to you. Let's pray together. And I'll invite you to come and get the elements as you see. Father God, we bow before you this morning and we say thank you. We say thank you that you are enough. That Jesus is enough. That you saw so clearly that in your wisdom you understood that we could not do anything to save ourselves. That there is no way we can earn our way back to relationship with you. But in Jesus, we're free. As we take these elements this morning, we pray, Father, that you would help us to remember and understand a little more clearly the cost of our sin how it hurts you and how it hurts us. And the new life that you are offering us that we can live in, that we can enjoy, that we can embrace, that we don't have to fear we're going to lose because you have said it's enough. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And as we celebrate and remember together now, we pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen.